love the honesty. I'm a New Yorker. It's gonna be great. Next thing you know, it's like, dun dun dun, side to Silva, mean girl, rude, ah. And here I am playing the villain. Okay, Sai, I know you. I know you. I know you. <laughs> and I don't know if many people know you like I know you, but I know a very determined, very hardworking, very kind, and very like you got your shit together. Yeah. Sai. That's the side that I know. But? But? <laughs> no buts. This is just what I know. And, uh, you know, I was listening to one of the podcasts you were in, and I pulled a quote that you said. You said, I think I used to just daydream, and I think that was a form of manifestation. I didn't know how I was going to get it. I just knew that I was not going to settle for mediocrity. Exactly. I want to know more about it. Like, give me the context of that line. I think just growing up with lack and growing up with not having a lot would put me in a place that I knew I was not okay being in as far as I knew at a very early age I wanted more. I wanted the dream. I wanted everything. You know, I would, I was so obsessed with fashion. It was like my outlet. Even though I didn't have a lot of money, I would try and do all of these like looks for less, you know, being 10 years old and doing looks for less and looking at Vogue and thinking to myself, one day I am going to buy my own bags. I'm going to do this. I'm going to have this house. I'm going to live in this place. And I just knew. I wanted to break that cycle that my family was in. I just didn't want to have kids and not have a husband. I didn't want to be on welfare. I didn't want to be on food stamps. I just felt like that was not for me, mm -hmm. and I would stop at nothing until I get to a place where I felt that I was successful and proud of myself. But what was—because, you know, it takes— someone to see it somewhere in order to know that it's possible? Where was your first glimpse of like, okay, there's more out there. I can do so much more than my immediate kind of reality. I don't think that I actually like saw something, maybe television. But I remember being young and being obsessed with my friends who had vacations with their families. Like these are things that people take for granted. I didn't have a lot of money growing up, so I didn't have family vacations. Like that was unheard of. So doing those things and seeing my friends like, oh my God, their parents are taking them shopping for back to school. Uh, my dad took me to the thrift store. Like, I know that this thrifting thing is in style. It's not something I want to do, okay? Because I am traumatized from it's a early age on. Right. <laughs> Where my dad was like, yeah, we're going back to school. And the thrifting was like, it was little raffle tickets stapled to the clothes that said 99 cents on it. Mm -hmm. And it, it's ingrained in my head that every time I go thrifting, when I do Once in a Blue... That's what I think of. And I'm like, no, this is not for me. So I think it was just looking at what my peers were doing mm -hmm. and me feeling like, oh, I want that too. And I think that was an early stage for me. And then as I got older, obviously my wants became more and more. I feel like when we were, we were together on a trip, and I remember I shared with you that I started kind of using certain techniques for visualization. And you were like, yeah, I've been doing this for years. Like, where, <laughs> where have you been? Where have you been? And I was like, oh, okay. When did that start for you? Like, did that start from such early age where you didn't really have, like, 
I mean, it wasn't a concept. It was just right. something that happened for you naturally, or was um, it later on? No, I started visualizing early on, but I didn't realize that that was a form of manifesting. Mm-hmm. It was just me daydreaming. And I was someone who, I was just a child who daydreamed quite a lot. I was never interested in school, or I was a creative, and I still am a creative. And for me, being in the middle of math class is the boringest thing. So I would imagine, what would you do if you found $20 on the floor right now? And I'm like, yeah, I would go to the candy store. I would do this. And that that was my form of visualization. And then when I got older, I read the book, The Secret. Oh, yeah. And I think this when The Secret finally came out, I was like, wait a minute. I think I understand these concepts because I was doing those concepts back then. And sometimes they would, they would really happen for me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really understand it, but I was like, oh, wait a minute. I was daydreaming about this. And now all of a sudden I have this in my life, but I couldn't really understand that I was manifesting right, it. Right, the vocabulary Yeah, of it all. I didn't get that part. And then once I read that book, I understood. And it kind of snowballed from there. I learned every, I dove into it. I read so many books. I started uh, meditating and doing all kinds of 369 methods, journaling, and, you know. What's a 369 method? So 369 method is when you want to speak something into existence that you that you genuinely want, you write it down three times in the morning, six times in the afternoon, and nine times right before you go to bed. And you do that for at least 28 days. You see, you don't share. I mean, I know that you know certain things and you do certain things, but you don't like openly talk about it. You're just a doer. You're I like, think people think I'm crazy do. or something. They're like, oh, her, this girl and her sorcery. Like, you we know? are in the era of crazy. <laughs> We're embracing the crazy. I guess you're right. I just don't think anyone was like into it. So I just kind of keep it to myself. These are the things that work for me. You know, I got through knowing you for a few years now, I got fragments of your story and your childhood from here and there. But I I think that what's fascinating to me about the whole concept of you manifesting and kind of, you know, bringing your life into existence was also knowing your background and where you came from. Like you and both of us, I think we have that in common. We both left home at a very young age. I left at 16. I have a similar you know, we come from a similar kind of like bracket in terms of, you know, I didn't grow up in a wealthy home by no means. Like my mom worked three jobs. Right. I was taken care of, but I also knew that there's so much more out there. And at 16, I was like, okay, this is my time to just get out there and do things my own way and kind of pull away from the mess that my parents were going through with their divorce. And it was honestly the best decision that I've ever made. But what made you leave home at such an early age? I don't think that there was any stability for me. My mom my mom didn't have much. Um, she had an apartment at the time that was a one-bedroom. She slept on the couch. I slept in the one-bedroom. I was 16, and I remember at that age, a friend of mine who was 17 in school, he had an apartment. It was a guy. He's just friends. And he had a two-bedroom apartment. was like, hey, I have an extra two-bedroom. I have an extra bedroom. If you want to come, you can rent it out. And at that time, I'm like, how the hell am I going to pay the rent? Like, I'm still in high school. So finally, I think at the end of 16, I just turned 17, my mom had to move, and she was moving into a studio apartment that I couldn't live in. And I was like, okay, I am going to get a job at Sears. It was either Sears or JCPenney. I believe it was Sears. It might have been Sears and King's Plaza Mall in, in Brooklyn. And I got a job there. I was running track. 
And after my track practices, I would go to Sears and go sell bras. I started living with my friend at 17, and that was the beginning of me being on my own. And trust me, there was lots and lots of ups and downs. Like there were definitely, as I got older, like times I couldn't pay the rent. Like I've had a lot of hardships in life that people don't know about. And I think I never really brought them up because I never... I never want to felt like a victim. I never wanted someone to to look at my story and be like, oh, poor girl. Or where I am now, someone just not believing me and mm-hmm. me, and saying like, oh, you're just bringing this up because you want some pity. Right. Like I, I think I have such a tough exterior that I just can't deal with a pity party. That's what I'm saying. You're just kind of like a doer. You don't really tell the story behind your doings. Uh, which is very interesting to me. and But I want to take it back a little bit. But you left, and that's another thing, I guess, that's connect us. We left not because it was a choice. It was There was no choice. Like, we no had choice. to leave. Did you ever resent your mom or your dad with no. the fact that you kind of had to grow up so fast? No, because it wasn't their fault. Like, they didn't have my, You know what? My dad is very cold, or was very cold. And I will never forget this time. I was in college. And I was going to Long Island University. The main reason I even went there is because there was a place for me to stay. It was downtown Brooklyn. Um, Everyone lived in the one same building. And I was like, oh, I can take out a loan and pay for my dorm? Sure. Yeah, it's like a free place to stay. Like, I didn't understand finances. I didn't understand savings, loans, paying back. I didn't get any of it. Mm -hmm. I had no guidance in in that. I kind of learned along the way. So I remember I was going to get kicked out of my dorm. And I called my dad and I was like, I have no money, like nothing. I have no place to stay. If you can just send me Western Union. It's like, can you Western Union me $100? And I'll never forget it. My dad was like, you better go to the army. And I literally just started sobbing, crying. I was like, you can't even send me $100 like, I, I, I just want to eat food. I just Was he present in your life? My dad was present because I did live with him when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And then as I got older, we kind of just, I think after that $100, I got really upset with him. I was just like, you're just not there for me, you know? And I stopped speaking to him for a while. And then when he got older, we ended up becoming very, very close. And then, you know, same thing for my mom. My mom did what she could. Yeah, That's one thing about my mom that I have to say, even though my parents didn't tell me they loved me every single day or they were proud of me every single day, I know that they loved me. Mm-hmm. You know, they just have a different way of showing it. And then my mom just, she didn't have much. She did what she could. Those were the cards that she was given and she was the best mom that she could be. Yeah, And I don't blame my past on my parents at all. But did you ever? Because I mean, that realization takes people a long time to get to, right? Like you become a parent, you start looking back, you're like, you know what, all this animosity or maybe wrongs that I feel my parents did, I get it now. But did that realization happen to you later on or did you just kind of let go of it? I kind of let go of it. I was resentful to my mom, but for other reasons. Mm. I was resentful to her because she had drinking issues. So for me, I felt like... She wasn't being strong. She wasn't being stronger than the addiction. She was allowing herself to be consumed with an addiction. And I know now that it was more mental for her. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I'm going to cry. It was more of a mental, she had a mental illness. 
And when you don't have a mental illness, you don't understand. You can't put your brain or wrap your brain around these things. You know, and it, a lot of people make fun of mental illness, but they don't know. They don't understand it because they've never walked in those shoes. You don't understand when you can't physically function because your brain is not allowing you to function in that way. Mm-hmm. And it took me a very long time to understand that about my mom. Now that she's no longer here, I do feel bad about certain things because I used to lash out and get very angry with her. And I didn't understand. I was just like, why are you like this? Why did you? I, I felt like she gave up. And it was more than that. Obviously, looking back now, it's because she had a mental illness and an addiction. Instead, I, I, just, I just wish I was more patient with her. And once you lose a parent, you realize those things. And once you become a parent, you also look back like, you look at your own kids kind of like, would you do this to me if I were in this situation? Like, how can I rectify? How can I be a better parent or fix those things? Did you ever, ever have a, had a chance to sit down with her and try to understand the root of she didn't take any accountability mm-hmm. we did try and have a conversation she wouldn't take any accountability for anything that happened in the past if I talked to her about certain things and ask like you know is there any way that we can even go to rehab yeah you know I would bring those things up you know is there anything that we can fix rehab wise you know me being there with you she would just say I don't have a problem It's just a choice, but I can quit it tomorrow. You know, she was in denial. Yeah. And that, that was very hard to deal with. I had a similar experience with my grandmother, and I think about it often, where she, she also had a drinking problem. And I remember being so angry at her because she used to be, in my eyes, she was this hero, right? Yeah. Like my grandmother was always... the stable force in my life. And when my mom wasn't, because she was figuring out her life, my grandma was always there. And then when she reached a point where she just couldn't be that strong person, she went, you want, she went deep and that was her coping mechanism. And I remember when she was in Canada, my mom brought her to Canada and um, I used to visit her all the time. And every time I would come, she would be She would be drunk, and that made me so angry yeah. um, at her. And, you know, my, my grandmother passed away, and I'm really, really sad that I didn't have the opportunity to thank her for the times that she was strong, right? right? Because she left knowing how, you know, how I felt about her at the end. But not at the beginning. But not at the beginning. When everything was great. Right, because we, we can't take away from all the times. You know, your mother was there for you when yeah. you were growing up. Like, I can't even imagine how difficult it was for them to navigate life back then with what they had. It's a very hard thing to go through, especially as an adult. You, you overthink things a lot, and you, you wish you could do things over again. Even as you said, like, you wish you could go back and say, we had a good time when it was great. Yeah. You know, getting older is not easy. You know, things change so drastically. And when you get older, a lot of things change, especially women in society. It's almost like you're discarded. Mm-hmm. And, you know, things change. All this attention that you used to get from others sometimes no longer are around or it's just your environment changes, you know, and, and having to deal with those things. And so sometimes and 
it's it's unfortunate, but people end up self-medicating themselves yeah. to make themselves feel better and to get through things. And I personally, I think because I'm so strong, I was just so angry about it. Like, why can't you be equally as strong? And I think I'm also rough, or not rough, but tough on my friends too sometimes when they go through things. I've overcome so much that sometimes I'm like, well, why aren't you so tough? Why aren't you proud of yourself? And I think that's just something because of what I went through, because I overcame. It's almost as if I put it on my friends, like, you could do this. You're great. You're amazing. Toughen up. Don't worry. Don't be sad. But we're all human. You know, at the end of the day, like, we are allowed to be sad. We are allowed to feel what we should feel. You know, feelings are okay at the end of the day. I just, I have my own things with them. I kind of just am like, these are my cards. This is what I'm dealt. But how am I going to play my hand? I'm constantly always like, well, what's next? How do I play my hand? I just think that I recognize in you the fear that I recognize in myself as well of just like what you said, being a victim, feeling like I am giving so much power to the outside. And that scares me. I don't like to feel like I don't have some kind of control over my fate and destiny because I've seen so many of my loved ones losing that control, giving away that control. And that's like scares me, puts me in a fight or flight mode. Same. So I understand where you're coming from when you say that you are rough on your friends because it's it's just triggering right away. It you is. wanna you want to kind of hold it before they go too deep into it. Right? I think it's yeah. Before they end up doing something that's detrimental to the to, to themselves. And it's it is yeah, I guess it's a way to control the situation or my way of helping in a way. I mean it doesn't always necessarily work with other people. It's just that's my love language because that's all I know. It's a fight or flight type mm-hmm. thing. How do you feel these experiences that you've had growing up with your parents, how did they affect the way you parent or mother your children? Oh my gosh, it's interesting because I thought that I would, I don't know, I didn't really understand how I was going to be a a parent. At first I didn't want to be a parent because I didn't know how to be. Mm -hmm. But now that I am a parent, I have an overwhelming amount of emotion. But for my children, Like, I love them so much. I tell them I love them a million times a day. I kiss them so much. My son is sick of me. Like, it is the amount of love that my children get from me is insane. It's like night and day from the way that I grew up. I want them to know that I am there for them no matter what. And I also have this very open line of communication with them. Anytime that something's happening, you know, they... They can always talk to me. I always just remember being like, I have a report card coming. Let me change the grades. My parents won't even notice. Right. Like, you know, that was like my thing with my parents. Now, my kids and me, if they dare change their grades, I'm like, <laughs> I know, know everything. everything. <laughs> <laughs> so it is, it is very different. I'm very, very close to my kids, and I'm very proud to be the mom that I am. You are. You're an amazing mom. I love seeing you around your kids, and I see the way they move around you. I think that seeing children so open, expressing their emotions, being affectionate, and being free to be who they are. I mean, that's when you know yeah. you're doing something right. You know? happy. And the confidence. You know I adore London's confidence. Her confidence is through the roof. Through the roof. And it makes me so happy to see that because I think 
we need more of that, you know, especially at those ages. Because yeah. this is the generation that is our future. Such an impressionable age. Yeah, so it's just so beautiful to see. And do you feel you've been able to heal some parts of your kind of inner child through your experience? I think I just closed the door and locked it. You think so? Yeah. I don't know if it's been necessarily healed. I think I've just, that's just my story. I don't think I've ever went to therapy. Well, I don't think. I know. I know I've never been to therapy. (laughs) And I've never sat and expressed my feelings. I know what happened in the past, but I don't know. My family is just so happy and they're an extension of me that I feel so proud and lucky. I feel very lucky to have my family and my friends. I feel like I have an amazing group of women and friends, you included, that you know we've all gotten to know each other through the years, especially through this industry. Mm-hmm. And I'm happy with that. Like I feel great with that. I don't think that has anything to do with my past. So I think my past is just something that I was like, it is what it is. Lock mm-hmm. that Pandora's box. Let's keep it, let's keep it moving. So I feel like I would have agreed with you. I mean, in my case, right? I'm sure for you, this is your experience. But my experience is starting to change a little bit because I was very open about my past and I know what I know about it. And I was always just kind of like, it happened, it's done. Like I'm the person who I am today. It's time to look forward. Right. But I have noticed that every couple of years, there's like a new little detail that surfaces. So, you know, for the longest time, I was like, oh, I don't, I don't have any issues with my stepdad. Like I just stopped talking to him because we had like a bad experience and he let me down. And I'm just like, you know what? I don't need that in my life. Close the door, never spoke to him again. But I see how it's been like five years. I see that it's slowly like creeping in. And it's time to talk again, time to face it. It's time to face it. And it's like, And I think this is going to probably be for the rest of my life where there's going to be this small little things that will escape the box. So you have to face it. So eventually you're saying I'm going to have to open my Pandora's box. I mean, I'm just saying that I think that now I've come to terms with knowing that some years I'll have to ask questions and I'll have to go deep into something that maybe before I thought it was closed and it's done, you know? I know exactly what you mean. It's tough, especially tough that I can't open the box and actually speak to the person who I'm angry with. Yeah. You know, so as of right now, I feel like I'm totally happy. I see my faults when I'm at fault. I'm accountable when I need to be accountable. You're very self-aware. I am very (laughs) self-aware of my, like, who I am. I I know when I'm being a little bit brash. I know when I'm being a little bit too honest with someone and they can't handle it. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm very self-aware in that aspect. It's just sometimes I need to read the room when I know that someone is a little bit more fragile. Right. Because, again, I think that goes back into being like, you're so tough. Let's go. Let's go. Hot 24. Let's go. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, definitely. I see that. But I think that's also the charm in you. And those who get it, get it. And those who don't. We'll get it eventually. (laughs) I mean, if they stick around, if they stick around. Which brings me to, to you putting yourself out there. Like, let's start with social media. You got into social media, opened yourself up to people. And I don't think people realize how difficult it is, but also how it was back then. I mean, how, when did you start 
2014. 2014. It was a completely new concept of putting yourself out there and opening your world and, you know, being able to deal with all these different points of views. What made you get into that? You know, it was actually Instagram first started around the time that my daughter was born back in, I think, 20, when was she born? 2011? I think 2012 was around like an Instagram, like, okay, what's this? It's a new app. And I, a lot of people don't know, I lived in Montreal at the time. My daughter was born in Canada. I was so bored. I was so bored. I was a first time mom. I felt like I was losing my identity. And I was trying to figure out a way where I can still be creative and I can meet new moms. I was the only person out of my friends who had a child. So no one understood what I was going through. And I got on Instagram. And I was just like, I want to talk to cool moms. I want to meet moms that are cool who don't just wear Lululemon all day just to go to Starbucks. Like, I was like, where is everyone who still wants to get dressed and, you know, hang out? And that's what happened. I started getting on Instagram. And then I think when I got to 10,000 followers, it was actually all about my daughter. It was about my daughter in children's fashion, like Mm -hmm. luxury children's fashion. I met a bunch of cool moms who do the same thing. I started a blog. I didn't know you can make money from it. It was just a creative outlet for me. You know, I would wake up, do blog posts, shoot, look at new different clothing for my kid. You know, it was a way for her and I to bond together since I was home. My husband was working. And I was just like, what is this? And then I think about a year later, um, or a year and a half maybe, I moved back to New York, and I got my first job, and I was like, oh, shit, this is a job. (laughs) I was like, wait a minute, this is a job, and I think this is at this point is when I realized, no, I really am starting to put my life out there, and um, I met a lot of new people, and, and it kind of took off from there. Did you have any reservations about... I guess when you start back then, you didn't really think it through. Like, you didn't know what it entails, right? Because to your point, I mean, even when I started, I was just like, this is going to be great. I'm going to build my community. It's going to be, you know, this really nice little thingy. You didn't think about it really much. And it it was because it was also so small. Mm -hmm. It wasn't as oversaturated as it is now. You know, people had blogs and put their favorite friends and blogs on the blog roll on the side. You know, it was like, remember, like, we all, it was like blog loving. We all kind of knew of one another. It was just such a small community. I never would have realized it would have been what it is, well, what it is now. I, I guess I just didn't think about it. But you put yourself out there, you build this amazing platform, build an amazing business. You're very (laughs) entrepreneurial um, and very business savvy, which I love about you. But now you decided to take it to a whole new level and then put yourself on national TV. Oh, gosh. Which really focuses on finding the flaws and identity and kind of like, you know, putting you in a certain category, you decided to do that. I don't know. To yourself. Now that you, when you bring it up, <laughs> when you say it like that, I'm like, oh, wait, let me rethink this. I just remember when you told me like, I'm going to do this. I was like, damn, she's really, she's going for it. And it amazes me to think about I know that you thought it through because you already had some exposure to obviously being on social media and seeing how people react to different things. You already had that like experience and now you're putting it and amplifying it by so much more. You have to know 
who you are. You have to understand where you came from, where you're at, and where you're going. Right. Because if you don't and you put yourself on that stage, this is the beginning of the end. I mean, I think that happened for a few people that have been in this world. I, Absolutely. I, I think you do. Yeah, to your point, you really need to know exactly who you are. and You need to be very comfortable with who you are. You need to be very comfortable with everyone telling you who you are, mm-hmm. telling you lies about who you are, knowing that that is not you. But you need to also realize like what people are telling you don't don't feed into the bullshit. Don't believe what other people think about you. You literally need to come to the table with headphones on and literally like, no, this is me. You're not going to tell me I'm green when I know that I am red and like call it a day. Because it is a lot of scrutiny. I didn't realize it would be this much, but there is a lot. So you need to come in with some sort of, not necessarily a distraction, but I just think, and and I, I wouldn't say a plan because we always come to the table with plans and the, the plans never end up going the way we want them to go. I think we just need to come to the table with strength when you're doing something like this. How did you know you have enough strength? I didn't know. I didn't know until I was in it. Again, I didn't. When Andy told me don't read comments, I was like, oh, you know, they'll just be like, sprinkles of comments. He's silly. It'll be like, no big deal. And then I remember one day I woke up and the internet decided or the TV world decided not to like me and there were thousands of comments. I actually didn't read them. Um, I read a few at first and I was like, this is ridiculous. I was like this and what they're complaining about is so absurd that I was just like, you know, this is not worth it. And so... I actually just started filtering through comments and and made my space, any platform that I have that is my space, I kept it grounded and I kept it to the community that I already have grown to love. And any new people who want to come in, they're more than welcome to come in. But certain words, certain things, there are no, none of that is happening on my page. And people have a problem with it. Those are my boundaries. I realize that people from the TV world, Bravo universe, have a really hard time when you have uh, boundaries. They think that you're not, what is it? You can't take the heat because you don't allow negative comments on your page, mm-hmm. which I find like you're on my space. You're on this my is, property. This is my property. This is what I created. So, yeah. And you want to come here and shit on it. Yeah. And so you're upset because I'm like, no, you can't shit here. I, it doesn't make sense to me. So anyway, I've learned how to keep the peace where I am every single day, and it's worked for me this far. But did you find yourself in moments being like questioning your character? Yeah. Like when it first started happening, and I don't even remember, it, it, there's 14 episodes that mm-hmm. we have. I, I Maybe somewhere in the middle, I think people were calling me names, and I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> Wait a minute. I'm not mean. I, I I promise you, I have friends. I have a lot of cool friends. Like, they love me. And I it started questioning my, like, I started questioning my own character. Like, mm. then at one point, I was like, am I crazy? And I had to tell my husband. I said, am I, do you think I'm crazy? You know? Um, and then he's like, no, all of this is just, it's it's ridiculous. Like, don't worry about it. And I think we just live in a world where 
if you're very honest, and I know people are going to yell at me about this and say, no, you're not honest, you're just mean. But if you're very honest to someone and they can't handle it, mm-hmm. it comes off very, very brash. And it comes off in a way that's polarizing, I think I have to say. Yeah. Someone is, if you speak your mind to someone and you just tell them exactly what it is that you're on it, some people are, are, are extremely shocked by it. Do you feel it is... It's something that is more prominent these days than before? Or, like, were you surprised to see how sensitive people are? Like, that they are not able to see when truth is being spoken and when, like, it's a negative behavior? You know what I mean? It's very shocking. I was very, very surprised about it. And I'm also very surprised when you're honest about something Mm -hmm. and someone else is lying. But because you were honest and told them, hey, by the way, I think that you're a liar— and it flashes back to them lying, it's still, the heat was still on me because of my delivery or because they thought I was being mean, that the liar, even though it flashed back to them lying, was completely off the hook. I was so surprised by that. But that's another thing. It's like you're giving power to, you know, this entity that you're entering into. You're giving them power to build a narrative you're not in charge of that no which I feel like just knowing who you are must be very difficult I know that it would be difficult for me because I know my truth I know who I am and then all of a sudden someone deciding that hey you know what actually no that's not who you are this is who you are yeah it is very hard to have someone else control your narrative um, especially because we're we're storytellers, right? Mm-hmm. We control our narrative all the time, every single day, every single time that we shoot. But we also are very comfortable and know who we are. Um, I think even when I did this show, I, I never knew I was this hungry. But in every single episode, I'm like freaking starving. Oh so it God. is, I'm not going to say, oh, it's the edit and it's this. Because yes, I did say those things. Mm-hmm. It's just clipping back all the funny, fun things that I did. Right. And putting just these complaints over and over again. Mm-hmm. So I will never deny and say I didn't do it because I did do it. But there was also so much more to me that was not shown on TV that I am a little bummed about. What did you learn about people's behavior or perception from the show? Because I, I, I think that if I was in your shoes, it would just shock me to see how easily people eat up. Drama? Garbage? Yes. And like want more of it. I think that unless you're it's around you and you put yourself in the heart of it, you don't realize how hungry people are for this garbage. I wouldn't necessarily say shocked by it because I I knew what I signed up for. I know what this show is in the past. And even just reality shows in general, drama sells. And here's the thing. They don't want it to be dark drama. You want it to be conflict resolution, Mm -hmm. right? You want it to be like, yeah, there's a little bit of a conflict no matter how silly it is. It's cheese. Can't believe you said that about the cheese. It's still some sort of conflict, It's so ridiculous. It's so silly that you're at home kind of like, this is so dumb, but did she say that about the cheese? Like all of a sudden you're involved in a cheese scandal that is the dumbest thing you've ever experienced. Celine wanted to bring cheese for you today. But you should have. You should have, please. (laughs) But you're like in the middle of it because it's it's a conflict and it's— it's television, and all of a sudden you feel you have an opinion on the matter, and it's like you escape 
all of your problems, Mm -hmm. to pick on a bunch of people that you don't know or side with a bunch of people that you don't know. So, I mean, reality TV, this is so new to me, and it it is a very eye-opening experience. I had no idea people would be as invested as they they are currently. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of... I guess, learning as I go. Yeah. But is it just reality TV? Because I feel like it's now social media in general. Like, if you think about it, social media is reality TV. It is. It is. It's highlight reels. It's, you know, people selling drama. People are getting, you know, more. You know, it's we're all have, like, running a a show here. The only difference is that we don't have a storyline, the same storyline over and over again. Mm. So I think that's the difference with reality TV is... Be careful what you say because it could be your storyline. Yeah. And it, and someone's in charge of continuously making sure that storyline goes on because mm-hmm. this is a show. And yes, those things are real. Yes, someone said those things. But it's the minute that you say it and it sticks, it's going to be part of your storyline and someone's going to have to keep talking about it. So you had to kind of learn to be okay with being the villain or being disliked. I didn't know I was a villain until, I mean, a few episodes ago. I had no idea. I was living in, like, La La Land. I was Delulu, apparently. You're like, oh, I'm going to be this wonderful human. I was like, People everyone's going to love the honesty. I'm a New Yorker. It's going to be great. Next thing you know, it's like, dun, 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 side to Silva, mean girl, rude, ah. Oh, my God. And here I am, playing the villain. Which I have to say, you kind of predicted it. I don't know if you remember. I do. I you do. predicted your villain. I was like, persona. watch me end up being the villain. I know. So you see, your manifestation really did. It, its I manifest thing. too much. You, sh- gotta, you should really I've watch what you say. I gotta scale back. I gotta <laughs> scale back. But the courage to be disliked, right? Because especially for you, when you didn't know until a few episodes in, you kind of had an idea of how it's gonna go, and then all of a sudden, you're like the bad guy here. How do you how do you digest that? I don't know. I don't I think they're actually shocked by a lot of the twists and turns. I've spoken to network, I've spoken to editors, and I think a lot of them are shocked by the audience perception or how they perceive me as well as other people. They didn't see it coming. And really? I was like, I want a focus group. I want to focus group. I want to understand. And not that I'm upset about it. It is what it is. Like, I, I, I didn't realize I would be as tough as I am, but I feel like I, I'm pretty okay with it. Like, I, it's a bunch of people that don't know me. They don't know the real me. And you just sit here and you're, if the worst thing you're saying is I'm mean and rude, yeah, I'll take it. Like, it's not, that's not the end of the world. Like, you know, it, there's so many other dark things that are happening in the world right now. Like, mm. you saying I'm mean and rude, is it's not that big of a deal. That's it. Like, okay, fine. I'm mean and rude. I'll fix it next season. You yeah. know, like. I'll be nice. Okay, I'll, I I'll bake everybody some apple pies and tell everybody nothing but lies. And then, you know, you'll complain that I'm a liar and I'm baking everybody apple pies. Like, you know, right. I just realized when you're in this seat, you can't make anyone happy. Mm. The reunion aired last night. I was nice. I was vulnerable. Someone was like, oh, now she's being too nice. Feels fake. I'm like, I can't win here. I can't, I, I, you just can't please everyone. Did you have to take a step back to just examine your kind of self-identity a little bit to reinforce 
the things that you know about yourself to make sure that all that nonsense doesn't get through? Yeah, I think I did. I think I had to take a minute to just sit, journal, take those comments off, and really just unplug. I unplugged actually a lot after... I used to post a lot more. I'm not posting as much, which I'm actually very disappointed in myself in because I felt like I lost a little bit of my... Momentum? Not momentum, motivation Mm. almost because every time I'm posting, someone's attacking. And Mm. it's like, what are we attacking about? Like, what is... What is really that wrong? Yeah. And so it was almost as if I, I kind of took a step back from social and just been like, it, it'll die out. Like, just let mm-hmm. it go. But now I feel much better. Now I'm like, you're going to watch me win. <laughs> I'm going to be the best villain you've ever I'm going to be the best seen. villain ever. I feel much better now. I'm back. I really sat. I, I came to grips with, look, this really is, like, I am who I am. I know who I am. I'm not going to allow anyone to... In, in, come at me with intrusive comments and tell me who I am. Yeah. Like I'm a 42 year old woman. Like I, you have not walked in my footsteps. You really don't know anything about me. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's where I, I feel really good where I am. I want to go back to the self-identity portion because I think that, like I mentioned, you taking and making the decision to go into reality TV, you had to have a very clear understanding of your strength and your identity. Take me back a bit about on your journey of kind of your self-discovery, you know, like how did you learn? You mentioned how, you know, you left home early. You had a certain type of childhood that kind of prepared you for the world that you were just have to figure it out on your own. But what events happened that you feel like really shaped your understanding of who you are? I had so many ups and downs. I was a bartender for about 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had so many different jobs. I was a secretary. I was, can I just tell you, I got fired from almost every job I've ever had other than bartending. Was it because you were so honest? No. <laughs> it was actually because I ended up, I just didn't like it. I didn't like any of it. And I and I realized that's not my personality to go to work every day, to clock in, for someone to give me paperwork. I sit down and just do the same task every single day. Mm-hmm. And at first I was like, do I have ADD? Like it's something like, why can't I keep a job? Like what's going on? But it took me a minute to realize it's because I'm really just not interested in doing those types of jobs. I couldn't figure out what it was. So to make ends meet, I started bartending and I was like, lo and behold, this is amazing. I'm social. I love to talk. I love to meet new people. At the time, I was a club rat. Like, I get music. I get money. It was, to me, I was like, this is a win-win. And, you know, you also have to have a little bit of sales because you're selling. Like, if you're not working and you're not selling all of these drinks, you're not getting tipped, mm-hmm. right? So I, you had to be outgoing. You had to get customers to come back to your bar all the time and things like that. And I realized, okay, I'm, I, at least this, this brings me freedom. I need to do something that brings me a little bit of freedom, but also something that I'm very passionate about. So a lot of people don't know that I started a, um, after I met my husband, I started a company called Required Flair. And it was an online accessory company. I sold all the same jewelry as Bobble Bar. And I would import from China. I learned to mark up the margins. And that's when Instagram was around. And Mm -hmm. I started 
uh, promoting myself on Instagram because I didn't have a lot of money to pro- to promote with. And um, I utilized Instagram, and that's where I got majority of my sales from. And then from there, I hired a publicist, and I was in People Magazine, Lucky Magazine. And I remember being so excited. I was like, look at my jewelry. It's doing so great. And I did that for a little while, maybe about a year or two, and then I was I got pregnant. Mm-hmm. And um, my husband was living in Canada at the time. At the time, he was not my husband. He was just my boyfriend. And I ended up moving to Montreal, and I could not ship my stuff from Canada to the States mm-hmm. without it being an obnoxious amount of money. I believe it was $10 for a ring that was 20 bucks. Right. And I was like, I'm going to lose sales. And if I wanted a tracking number, I believe it was $20. So it's like the numbers weren't making sense. And so you know what I it would do? It hasn't changed, by the way. <laughs> it's, it was crazy. I would have my husband drive me, my boyfriend at the time, I would have my boyfriend drive me to Vermont to ship all of the packages that I would get once a week. But why was that like, where did that desire? I just wanted, I wanted my own money. Like I wanted, I didn't want to rely on a man or anyone for, this was my identity. I, I just wanted something so badly to, that I was proud of mm-hmm. because I came from everyone being on a public assistance or my entire, like not my entire family, but majority of them have never, I've never really seen them work. Right. And I think that that feeling of me having a job, but having a job that I love and having something that made me successful was almost like, was almost like a, it was an identity crisis for me, kind of. Like I needed to feel successful in order for me to be proud of myself. And I think that was just a, a constant yearn and a constant feeling that I could not stop until I figured out what that was. And you still have it. Like you still, I still feel that from you. I feel like I just am never gonna. I don't think settle. you're ever gonna stop. You too. You're the you're the same exact way. We t- we talk and you're the same exact way. But I love. Yeah, I'm very proud of it. And it's so interesting how that hunger and that even the need to see how far. You can go, you know, it's beyond like success to me was in the beginning, maybe represented a dollar amount and then it represented a status. But now it's like, but how much more can I do? How much more can I be? You know, in the same way. So it's this like how much more courageous, how much more vulnerable, how much more strong. Like that's what is so I think keeps us going at this point. It's a growth. It's a journey. I've, I love to grow. I love to learn new things. Um, I think even when I when I got into Roni, I called um, a friend at the network and was like, hey, can I shadow you? I said, can I shadow you for a few hours? I said, I would love to know how you do these shows, how you're producing these hits. Like, I genuinely want to know about the TV industry. Like, how does it work? I'm constantly curious, and I think that's – that's just part of our journey. Like we're supposed to grow. We're supposed to learn. You don't stop learning just because you get out of school. Like yeah. it, when you stop learning, I just feel like you're dead. Like you just, you keep it going and there's nothing wrong with having that curiosity. And I think that's what's always going to be in me is that mm-hmm. curiosity to continuously expand and and just get better. I want to get better with time. Better? Yeah. More? More. I want to do more. There's you will do more. more. I do want to... 
hear about how the kids responded to this whole and I don't know if they know necessarily that you're like the villain on the show but just in general the exposure and just you know the spotlight you're in they definitely don't know I'm the villain because no one has social media even my 12 year old she doesn't have anything and um, so they don't know too much but the actual filming of it was a little up and down. My son is really, he had days where he was not into it, which is why he wasn't in the show that much. Because if he's not into it, I'll just call it. Like, yeah. you know, just, you know, let him do his thing. My daughter, however, I mean, she's, you know her. She's this bright light and she just thinks like, yes, let's do this. I'm an actress. I'm going to do it all. And she loved every minute of it. I will have to say they are very aware, though, when we walk around. I do get noticed quite often, which I didn't think was going to happen in New York. But I do get noticed, especially on the train and things like that. And they're very aware, especially my six-year-old son who's constantly, if someone says hi or wants to take a photo, he's very cautious. He's always like, who's that? Why do they want a photo? Or... There was a woman, we were on the, we still take the train out almost every day. There was a woman, uh, I was sitting with my son, we were going to a museum. And she comes over and she was, she was just very uh, kind of on us. Mm. And, and she came over and uh, she was like, she said, take a photo for my friend. And I was like, I, like, I was a little bit like, I'm with my kid right now. So my son scoots over so she could take a picture of only me and he wasn't in it. And I was like, it was so interesting to see how he's so aware of his surroundings and he did not want to be bothered. He was like, that's my space. And I remember she looked at him and she goes, no, you too. You get in the photo too. I was like, excuse me. Oh my God. Like, like it's like as if you don't, you're not a human being or something. But it's just those types of, that, that doesn't happen too often, yeah. once in a blue. But I it hope was, not. I, mm. And then as soon as you say something, you're mean. Of course. But. <laughs> I knew you were the villain. She's so mean in real life. She's so mean. Um, but it was it's just interesting that my kids do very much so. They're they're aware of their surroundings. They know exactly what's happening and they know, you know, th this show has brought out different people. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, now we're just recognizable. Do you kind of have an idea of where you want to take it? Because you have this moment now. And I feel like you know, this was a strategic move. I mean, you knew that this will bring certain opportunities and you knew that, you know, once you get that kind of spotlight, you're able to create new opportunities for yourself. Right. Do you see where you want to take it? Well, right now, I definitely am going to stay in media. I have mm -hmm. a podcast, too, called Harder Than We Thought with my best friend. Yes. So I'm definitely going to stay in media for as long as possible because I just genuinely enjoy it, and I'm very passionate about it. I know the ins and the outs of it, you know, same as you. But I do obviously want to produce product. I just haven't really figured out what that is, and it needs mm -hmm. to be something I know the opportunity will come. I've already been approached about a few things, but it just needs to be the right fit. I'm not rushing to do anything, again, because I am in the media space and I do enjoy it. Yeah, the goal is definitely to end up producing product. You know, I was I, I was just reminded that when I was kind of doing the research for this whole villain situation, I've came across so many videos and so many um, articles talking about how people are now manufacturing this villain persona in order to get publicity 
And in order to get like engagement, and I think there was even an article on Kim Kardashian at Fortune where she's like, haters kept me, kept my career going for two decades. That's crazy. Which is so interesting to me how it's a little scary, uh, but also interesting to me how this is probably the most coveted. persona to own these days. Yeah, like I said, at first I was really bummed, but now after seeing my story views, I'm kind of like, like, hey, there's a lot of hate watching going on, and I'm pretty sure there's some hate buying because people are buying. So yeah, it's a, it is really, really the most interesting thing I've done. I wonder if it's a form of like, to your point, you mentioned it earlier, of escapism from people own problems of like, hey, let's move away from focusing on my shit and And take it out on someone else. Yeah, and just like point out all the negatives and all the, you know. I have no idea, but I I, look whether you like it, people like it or not. I'm I'm pretty popular right now, so (laughs) you are. (laughs) I'm pretty popular. I'm in a lot of I'm in a lot of uh, of tagging here and a lot of clips going on. I have to I have to agree with Kim. Like my haters are are keeping me popular right now. They're keeping me alive right now. for whatever reason, I'm like, someone else who watches the show, mm-hmm. not even watches the show, is on the show. She's on OC, and she made a comment, and she's like, look, everyone's going so hard on Sai right now, saying she needs to be fired. She's done nothing that, you know, that she should be fired for, but she's making everyone talk, because mm. what will we be talking about? And I was like, you make a good point. Like, I kept the storyline going. That's what you're supposed to do in these shows, and I did my job. Yeah. I did my job. If you give me a job, you'll get it done. I'll get it done. (laughs) I will get it done. And I did my job. What are you daydreaming or manifesting right now? I want to manifest a new home in Brooklyn. Mm. I was actually thinking about possibly moving out of Brooklyn for a quick second to an apartment in the city. But then I kind of got over that. I feel like Brooklyn is like part of your identity. It is part of my identity. I don't know where I thought I was going. <laughs> it was it was like I was looking at these floor-to-ceiling windows in right. these apartments, and I said to myself, okay, wow. And then I came back down to it. But I would, you know what, right now on my, on my plate, definitely continue to grow my podcast. I need to renovate a home that I have upstate that is taking forever. So that is definitely on my vision board to just get it completed. I think before I start manifesting and moving on to other things, I really just need to take care of what is in front of me. And once that is done, then I can completely move on. I wouldn't mind a plane. A plane? Yeah, just like... You can rent one. I just charter it. No, just a chartered plane every now and then. I wouldn't mind that. that. That is on my like future future. Don't come attacking me for that, everyone. For but wanting a plane? Just wanting, I just want to charter a plane every now and then. Oh my God. That, that's on what my board. What about the environment? See, it's ah. just a thought. It was just a thought. You know what? I will shuttle more than uh, several people on it. Ah. <laughs> Make it sustainable. Uh, I love it. There's a business model like that I'm going to send you. Was it the one I sent you? Yes, <laughs> it was. <laughs> I'll send it back at you. (laughs) What if you had to think about one thing you want the audience of Ronnie to know about you? What would it be? That I actually am very kind. And despite what people think, I am a girl's girl. I do help my friends when they need help. You really are. You're a very girl's girl. Have you always been a girl's girl? Mm -hmm. I love friends. I've always loved friends. I've never been the girl who 
got a man and like disappeared from her friends. You know those girls? Mm, they yeah. start dating and then you next thing you know, you never see them again and they choose a real terrible boyfriend and then they come back when they like are dumped or going through a breakup and then they leave again. I've never been that girl. I've always lived in this world where I would have an amazing man and I would have amazing friends and we would all hang out together. I just feel like friends are the family you choose. Have you ever been hurt by a friend? Because I feel like, you know, I remember when I did an episode on um, on friendships, actually, because it's so fascinating to me, women's friendships in general. Right. Because um, they're so, they can be very complex at times. Have you ever been kind of traumatized by a friendship that... Well, I had a friend who was that girl who would just leave every time she got a boyfriend. Mm. And then we eventually had a falling out because it was enough was enough. Like I wouldn't be able to contact her. I was actually very hurt by her. I was throwing her baby shower and she went to France and I never heard from her again. Oh, wow. Like baby shower over. I called her. I was so worried. I called everyone she knew, called her family. And they sent me a message and said she would ask if you kindly just leave her alone. So you never had a closure. She actually came back into my life a few years ago and apologized. Interesting. Yeah, she Okay, so you had a closure. I did have a closure. So it was maybe five, six years without her, and then she came back in. Because I feel like experiences like that, specifically with other women, sometimes scar you way more than relationships yeah. with, you know, whatever, romantic relationships. But I don't, I don't keep it from, like, me making new friends. Like I, Yeah, I, that's why I asked if you ever kind of... No, I do keep my circle tight. My, my, I have a lot of associates, and I'm sure you do too. In this industry, we know a lot of people, but I think people who I call or call my friends, I don't, that circle is very small. Mm-hmm. It's a very small circle. Well, I feel honored to be in your circle. I mean, I know your family. I know your lovely husband. Gary is very lovely, by the way. He called me on the phone. We did a FaceTime. We did a FaceTime, and I'm like, what am I doing wrong, Gary? (laughs) And he's like, okay, let's break this down. And he helped me. Um, You all have been very, just very sweet to me. It's the best. We love you guys. Yes. Me too. Your boys are great, too. Thank you. Oh, my God. We have a video of when Sai and her family came to visit us. Lun- the kids did like a little show. I still have the recording of it. It, was it is so the funny. funniest thing. They had like a musical. A yeah, Jake in London. And be- like it was the cutest thing I forgot thing ever. all about that. It's she, so cute. She got them doing all kinds of things. This is really Yeah, London. Cute. She was like, guys. She's the ringleader. Yes. I love it. Well, Sai, I'm so happy we got like a glimpse into who you are as a person. Well, I'm glad I'm you made me that, open up. I, I'm saying a glimpse because I know there's more. I know. There's, I have tons of stories. There's I think more. you just got to like spark my memory. I know. But this is a good start. Okay. We're going to get to the rest. We'll do it again. In time. You see, I take my time. At the moment, <laughs> I'm going to lock Pandora's box again. Exactly. Click, Until click, next click, time. click, Until next time. Thank you for having me. I love you. I love Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for watching this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Don't miss my newest episode right here. And if you're listening to the podcast on Apple or Spotify, please go and leave a review with your biggest takeaway. I love reading your thoughts. And if you have any suggestions for guests or topics, you can leave them in the comment section. And always, always remember, you are not alone.